If the decision is between succession and life, what can I, as a parent, say? It's called, they tried to wipe us out. Enki and the Flood, 9800 BC. Kingdoms of Samaria, Season 4. Completes something or other. Complete episodes. Enki responded with a sorrowful heart. Desolation is per- Okay, um, actually, I see Anunnaki Mythology Podcast, Nephilim, Flood History, and the Sumerians. The following Sumerian texts are some of the most fascinating ever deciphered regarding Enki and the Flood. After the deluge, I will return the Sumerian lands beyond the ocean. So did Ninurta proclaim this. Nanar Enlil's firstborn on earth has a peculiar wish. He wishes for the deluge to survive not in earth skies, but on the moon. Enki arched his eyebrow and Leo, though perplexed, gave his approval. Ishkur, so is he still there? Ishkur, the youngest son of Enlil, has decided to remain on earth with his father. It's decided that Nanar's earthborn children, Utu and Inanna, would remain. Enki and Ninki chose to remain, and Earth did not abandon their decision. They announced it with pride. The Gigian Sarpanid cried out, I will not abandon. Marduk's response was one of anger. One by one, Enki's other sons declared their intentions to remain. Okay, join this channel to get access to parks. The words, I will not abandon the human beings I created. One by one, Enki's other sons declared their intention to remain. And finally, uh, Dumuzi, Gabil, Ninagal, and Ningishida. And finally, Dumuzi. When all eyes were on Ninma, she proclaimed with pride, My life's work is here. I will not abandon the human beings I created. Her words infuriated the Anunnaki and Ajiji, who inquired about the fate of the earthlings. Let the inhabitants of the earth perish for their abominations, declared Enlil. Enki exclaimed to Enlil, we have created a marvelous being. It must have been due to our efforts. Enlil responded with his own shattered words. From the beginning, each choice he made was correct. He granted primitive workers procreation and endowed them with knowledge. You hold the powers of the All-Creator in, in your hands. Um, primitive workers who granted, that gave them procreation, allowed them I think that's what the uh, Adam and Eve and the um, the Garden of Eden is all about. You know, shame the, that they were given the ability to procreate. Invasive ah. in my country, fighting must cease. I am still grieving for Demuzi. Let Marduk live in exile. 
If peace is to be restored and Marduk is to survive, binding agreements must be reached. Enlil. What really? To the Sumerian. version of events whenever I try to like transcribe something like uh, I have to go in and pretty much change every word history happens in history One ninety three followers now. Got a couple new followers on YouTube. That's cool. Um, rags. Well, no, the Bible. Talks to Enki. All facilities connecting heaven and earth must be placed under my complete care. It would be ideal if you bequeathed the land of the two narrows to one of your other sons. Marduk must relinquish Igigi. Marduk must be sent to the land of no return, where there are no descendants of Ziusudra. As intended, Enlil said with power. Be first among your brothers. The Ekur interior is only familiar with Ningisida. Let him rule over its country. Enki recognized the hand of destiny in his heart and said, Let it be. He said this while bowing his head. After the great Anunnaki had stated their conclusions, Ningisida praised them for the assistance they had provided. His difficulty was to liberate Marduk from the blocked and shut vowels. 
It was beyond his grasp to liberate someone alive but buried. Ningisida, the Ekua's hidden plans, considered how to avoid the obstructions he had created. Through an upward entrance carved out of stone, Marduk will be free. He addressed the leaders with these words. At a location I will show them, they will chisel a gateway in the stones, and then dig a winding path upward to create a rescue shaft. They will proceed via concealed hollows inside the Ekua. At the center of the stone's hollowings, they will burst through. A portal to the inside that they will detonate to circumvent the obstruction, they will proceed along the great gallery while elevating three stone barriers. They will reach the topmost room, the death prison of Mardo. The Anunnaki, directed by Ningisida, subsequently executed his planned strategy. The entrance they created, the rescue tunnel they fashioned, the insides of the manufactured mountain they reached, and the exit they blasted out were all created using equipment that fractured the stones. They reached the highest room by navigating around the three impeding stones. The guardrails were elevated on a small platform, and fainting Marduk was rescued. The Lord sank himself slowly into the twisted shaft, carrying fresh air. Outside, the wives and dads of Sophonit and Nabu anticipated a joyous reunion. When Marduk's father Enki informed him of the conditions of his release, Marduk was enraged. I would sooner die than give up my birthright, he yelled. Sarpanit was thrown into his arms by Nabu. She said, We're a part of your future. Marduk was enraged. He was humiliated. To fate, I submit, he whispered. He traveled with Sarpanit and Nabu to the land of no return. He accompanied his wife and kid to a location where horned animals are hunted. After Marduk had departed, Ninurta the Ekua re-entered the shaft and followed a horizontal path to the Ekua's vulva. Red light emanates from a carved alcove on the east wall, where the Destiny Stone sparkles. It loses its power to murder me. It loses its killing track. Ninurta wept inside the room. Take it away to eradicate it. It must be destroyed. Ninurta exclaimed to his lieutenants. Ninurta retraced through the Grand Gallery until he reached the highest room. The net force of the Ekua's heart was split into five compartments inside its hollowed-out chest. Ninurta hit the stone chest with his club, causing it to emit a resonant sound. Ninurta commanded that the Gug Stone be transported to a place of his choice after determining its path. As Ninurta descended the Grand Gallery, he inspected the twenty-seven pairs of Nibiru crystals. Some of his battles with Marduk were undamaged, but many still needed to be. Ninurta ordered that the entire ones be extracted from their grooves, while the others were pulverized by his beam. Outside the house, Ninurta flew on his blackbird his gaze focused on the apex stone marking the enemy's summit. Using his weapon, he shook it free, and its fragments tumbled. This eliminates Marduk's fear permanently. 
the winner Ninurta is announced. Ninurta praised the gathering of Anunnaki on the battlefield, declaring, Like Anu, you are created. They roared at their commander and hero. The crippled beacon was replaced by a mount at the place of the celestial chariots. Within its interior, the repurposed crystals were reorganized. The Gug Stone, the Stone of Directing, was erected on its summit. Mount Mashu, also known as Mount of the Supreme Celestial Bark, was where Enlil, Ninlil, and Ninhasag summoned their three sons. The conditions for commands over ancient lands to affirm and lordships over new regions to assign were satisfied. Ninurta, whom Anzu and Marduk had defeated, was given Enlil ship powers in all areas where his father's surrogate existed. Ishgur was awarded the lordship of the landing place in the Sita Mountains, and the landing place was added to his northern dominion. The regions to the south and east, where the Igigi's descendants had extended, were handed to Nana by his successors and supporters as an endowment to retain and hold forever. On the peninsula where the place of chariots was included in Nana's territory, Utu's status as the place's commander and the Earth's core was reaffirmed. Enki delegated his sovereignty to Ningishida in the land of the Two Narrows, as arranged. Only Inanna complained. None of Enki's other sons opposed. Inanna claimed the lineage of her deceased husband, the Muzi. She of Enki and Enlil desired independence. The Fates Decree Council led the great Anunnaki to the countries and peoples where they spoke about the Earth and its resettling with Anu in response to Inanna's desires. Since the Great Flood and the Great Disaster, over two centuries have passed. The expansion of humans from mountain ranges to arid plains. Through Ziusudra, there were descendants of civilized humans with Anunnaki DNA. Offspring of Igigi, who intermarried, wandered the country. Ka'in's family survived in faraway regions. The Anunnaki who had arrived from Nibiru were rare and noble, and few were their flawless offspring. How they planned cities for themselves and earthlings to create the great Anunnaki. How to elevate humanity to ensure its survival, as well as how to make the masses submit and serve. The leaders discussed all of this and the future briefly. Anu resolved to return to Earth. He intended to travel with his wife, Antu. The description of the twelfth tablet. Plains and river valleys get repopulated when the soil dries up. Gold is abundant in the lands beyond the seas. The couple Anu and Antu came for a great visit. Reminiscing, the leaders understand that they are the instruments of fate. They split humanity into three zones of civilization. Elite lands. First region and space father Enlilite established a colony. The first region is the birthplace of the first civilization, Sumer. Marduk seizes a location to construct an unauthorized launch tower. Marduk, who was pardoned by the leaving Anu, remains rebellious. Infuriated by the Enlilites, Marduk takes control of the second region. He deposes Ningisida, Thuth, 
and banishes him to the outlying territories. He proclaims himself to be the great god Ra in a new religion. Inanna is given authority over the third region, the Indus Valley. He presents Pharaonic dynasties to signal the start of a new civilization. Enlil charges his son Ishgur with safeguarding the metal supplies. Anu was determined to return to earth again with his wife, Antu. In anticipation of his coming, the re-establishment of Anunnaki dwellings in Edin began. The black-headed people traveled to the ancient country from the mountainous area where Shem's ancestors resided. The Anunnaki allowed them to settle on the recently dry land and provided food for everybody. Before the flood, there stood Eridu, Enki's first city. On top of the muck and silt, the outline of a new Eridu was drawn. In the center on a high platform, the House of the Tile Lord, whose return is triumphant, was constructed for Enki and Ninki. Enki's sons supplied gold, silver, and precious metals for ornamentation. Above, the signs of the twelve constellations were depicted in a circle pointing upward. Similar to the Abzu, fish-filled waters were flowing below. Enki safeguards the Emi formulae in a sanctuary that no unauthorized individual may penetrate. For Enmil and Ninlil, a new Nibru key was constructed on the muck and silk. A holy area was surrounded by walls in the midst of its people's residences, cattle folds, and stables. A residence for Enlil and Ninlil was erected there. It arose in seven steps, with a staircase ascending to the highest platform as high as heaven. Enlil held his tablets of fate guarded by his weapons, the raised eye that surveys the plains and the raised beam penetrating everything. Enlil's swift skybird was housed in its cage in the courtyard. As the time for the arrival of Anu and Antu approached, a new location, neither Enlil's nor Enki's, was chosen for their stay in Edith. Unukki, or the delightful place, was its name. Shade trees were erected in it. Its center stood a spotless white edifice, the house of Anu. The outside of the building rose in seven steps, and the inside was suitable for a king. The heavenly chariot of Anu was directed to a safe landing at the place of the chariots in Tilmun by Anunnaki skyships when it landed on Earth. Commander Utu welcomed his great-grandparents to the planet Earth. Enlil, Enki, and Ninhasag, the three offspring of Anu, waited there to meet him. They hugged and kissed, laughed and shed tears. How long have they been apart? They continued to speak to one another. They examined their aging as they looked at each other. However, the parents in Shah's seemed younger than the children. The two boys were aged and beardless, while Ninhasan, a former beauty, was stooped and wrinkled. Joyful and somber tears flooded the eyes of each of the five individuals. The guests and hosts of the Edin were transported on skyships. The skyships landed at a designated area near Unukki. 
all the Anunnaki who had remained on earth as honor guards were standing. Salu and greetings, Salu and greetings. Anu and Antu were yelling in unison. The visitors then joined the Anunnaki at the house of Anu in a procession that included singing and music. Anu cleaned and slept in the house of Anu before being perfumed and dressed. Female Anunnaki took Antu to the house of the Golden Bear. There, she also cleaned and slept before being perfumed and dressed. Anu and Antu sat on thrones in the open courtyard while a wind rustled the leaves of the trees. Enlil, Enki, and Ninhasan boarded them. Others were cooking a bull and a ram, gifts from Enlil and Enki, over an open fire in the corner of the courtyard. Anu and Antu were treated to a lavish meal in anticipation of a sign from the skies that their reign was about to commence. Enlil instructed Zumul, versed about the stars and planets, to comply. The ascending stairs of the house of Anu announced the evening ascent of the planets. In the first stage, Kishar emerged in the eastern sky. In the second step, Lahamu appeared. Mumu was declared from the third step, Anshar from the fourth step, Lamu from the fifth step, and the moon from the sixth step. Then, in response to a signal from Zumul, the song, The Planet of Anu Arises in the Heavens, was performed. From the top step, the seventh planet, Nibiru, with its crimson aura, became visible. The Anunnaki clapped and danced to music. To music, they danced and sang. To the one who gets brighter, the celestial planet of Lord Anu, they have sung. At the indicated time, a bonfire was ignited. Before the night's end, bonfires were visible everywhere. The whole country of Edin was illuminated with bonfires. All of the Anunnaki were thanked by Anu and Antu as they were escorted to their sleeping chambers after a banquet of beef, lamb, fish, and fowl, accompanied by wine and beer. Anu and Antu slept for many earth days and nights. His two sons and daughter were called on the sixth day. He listened to their descriptions of what had occurred on earth, including conflict and peace. Enlil informed Anu about the finding of gold in the country beyond the seas and the location of the chariot there, as well as how the earthlings had multiplied despite Enlil's vow to destroy them. It was Galzu Enki's dream and tablet to his father. Anu was immensely perplexed. I have never sent a secret envoy with that name to earth. Therefore Anu notified the three leaders. Enki and Enlil were confused and stared at one another. Enki said, Thanks to Galzu's Yusudra, the germ of life was preserved. Due to Galzu's presence on earth, we stayed. Enlil communicated this to his father. Galzu states that you will perish the day you return to Nibiru. Anu was bewildered. The cycle shift had wreaked havoc, yet it was treatable with elixirs. Whose messenger was Galzu, if not yours? Enki and Enlil expressed the same sentiments. Who wants to preserve humanity, and who compelled us to remain? Slowly, Ninhasad bowed his head. 
for the all-creator also appeared. That makes me wonder, was the creation of humans also predetermined? They stayed quiet for some while, each reflecting on previous occurrences in his head. While destinies were predetermined, fate controlled every move, so stated Arnold. The intent of the All-Creator is unambiguous. We are only ambassadors on Earth and for Earthlings. The Earth belongs to its inhabitants. We were established to defend and develop their interests. Let us behave appropriately if this is our objective, so said Enki. The powerful Anunnaki, to whom destiny had prescribed land-related advice, the great Anunnaki chose to establish civilized zones and bestowed humanity with knowledge. Man's cities will be utilized to construct holy areas and dwellings for the Anunnaki. As on Nibiru, establish and confer the crown and scepter onto a selected individual. According to him, the Anunnaki's words to the people impart labor and skill to impose. In the holy precincts, a priesthood was founded to establish the Anunnaki as aristocratic rulers to serve and adore. Secret information must be conveyed to civilization. The Anunnaki built four regions, three for humankind and one for prohibited. The first territory in ancient Edinland to establish itself as Enlil and his son's fortress. The second area is to be ruled by Enki and his sons in the land of the Two Narrows. The third, unique territory in a faraway nation that will be bestowed by Inanna. The peninsula of the Place of Chariots will be the fourth location, exclusively inhabited by the Anunnaki. This is the narrative of Anu's travel to the countries beyond the seas and the re-establishment of Anunnaki cities in the first region. Anu inquired about his grandson Marduk after he decided on the four areas and the human civilizations. I gotta see him again. I have provoked Marduk's fury by inviting Dumuzi and Ningizida to Nibiru, Anu called the chiefs. Therefore, Anu pondered, desiring to rethink Marduk's punishment. You will be informed that Marduk will be waiting for you when you journey to the regions beyond the waters. These are the regions of the earth where he roams, so said Enlil to Anu. Before traveling to distant places, the royal pair visited Edin and its territories, which were assessed by Anu and Antu. They traveled to Eridu and Nipuki to see the projected locations of the first region's cities. Enki keeps the ME formula to himself. Enki protested to Enlil in Eridu. Anu, who was seated in the place of honor, complimented Enki. My son constructed a wonderful home for himself on a high platform. Enki will convey superior wisdom to the individuals who surround and serve the house. Now that the ME's knowledge has been concealed, it must be shared with other Anunnaki. Enki was humiliated. He offered Anu access to all holy formulae. In subsequent days, Anu and Antu surveyed the other locations using skyships. The royal couple returned to Unukki for one more night of relaxation on the seventeenth day. 
The next day, when the younger Anunnaki appeared before Anu and Antu for a blessing, Anu embraced and kissed his great-granddaughter Inanna. Please listen carefully to what I say. After we go, this place will be Inanna's dowry, he told the assembled crowd. Let the ship that the earth will use to journey to Inanna be my gift. Inanna, thrilled, proceeded to dance and sing. Her admiration for Anu would eventually become hymns. Enlil, Enki, Ninurta, and Hishkur followed Anu and Antu to the Golden Region, after which the Anunnaki said their farewells. Ninurta built a residence for Anu and Antu to impress Anu, the king with immense gold wealth. Its stone blocks, which were precisely carved and contained pure gold, were covered. The royal pair were greeted with a golden cage covered with sculpted flowers of carnelian stones. The residence was constructed on the coast of a vast alpine lake. Visitors were taught how to harvest gold nuggets. There is enough gold here for many shahs to arrive. Anu pleased said. Near Ninurta, Anu and Antu, a manufactured mound was seen. Ninurta described the creation of a location for melting and purifying metals. He showed how a new metal, Anak, developed by the Anunnaki, was mined from stones. He demonstrated this by mixing it with plentiful copper to create a robust metal. Anu and Antu sailed on the massive lake from which the metal sprang. The lake of Anak Anu was its name after that. This was its name. Then, from places in the north, where spectacular horned monsters are sought, Marduk accompanied his father Enki and his grandpa Anu before the arrival of his son Nabu. When Enki inquired about Sarponid, Marduk described the tragedy of her passing. Now only Nabu and I have remained, Marduk remarked to his father and grandpa. You have been punished enough. Anu, Marduk, pushed against his chest. He responded to him, with his right hand on Marduk's head, Anu, Marduk is blessed and pardoned. Everyone who had congregated in the plain below left the golden mountaintop location. Inurta has prepared a new horizon-spanning place for the chariots. There stood Anu and Antu's heavenly chariot, filled with wealth. As the moment of departure approached, Anu offered his children words of farewell and advice. Let the destiny of the earth and its inhabitants be whatever it may be. If humanity, and not the Anunnaki, is meant to inherit the earth, then let fate aid us. Give humankind information. Teach them in part the mysteries of heaven and earth. Instruct them in the precepts of justice and righteousness, and then disappear. Anu also provided his children with fatherly counsel. Anu and Antu for Nibiru clasped, embraced, and kissed once more before departing from the location of the new chariots. What is this new place of celestial chariots? shouted Marduk, the first to break the solemn hush indignantly. He requested an explanation from the others. What transpired without my awareness after my exile? When Enki told Marduk of the judgments about the four territories, 
Marduk's rage had no bounds. Why would Inanna, who was responsible for Demuzi's demise, have her own region? The choices are final and cannot be changed. Enlil relayed the same message to Marduk. They returned to Edin and the neighboring areas in different airships. To celebrate Anu's arrival, a new measure of time was introduced. Earth years, not Nibiru Shars, were used to track events on Earth. The beginning of the Earth's years was devoted to Enlil in the Age of the Bull. Enlil Ishgur was instructed to remain behind and retain the Gold Watch after sensing danger. When the leaders returned to Edin, the initial location of civilization, the Anunnaki taught the Earthlings how to produce mud bricks and construct cities. However, where only the Anunnaki initially dwelt, towns for the Anunnaki and humans formed. There, as well as in the new towns where the spectacular Anunnaki holy precincts were consecrated, the Anunnaki were given high dwellings that humans called temples. There, the Anunnaki were revered and served as noble lords. The number of their ranks reflected their status as successors to humanity. Anu, the Celestial, had the rank of 60. Enlil was awarded the rank of 50, and he gave the same status to Ninurta, his oldest son. Lord Enki, who had the rank of 40, was the next in line. Assigned to Nana, the son of Enlil and Ninlil, was the rank of 30. Utu, his son and successor, was given the rank of 20, while the other Anunnaki chief's sons were given the rank of 10. Ranks by the fives were divided between the female Anunnaki and their partners. When Eridu, Nibru, Ki and their temple abodes were finished, the Girsu enclosure for Ninurta was constructed in Lagash, where his black skybird was housed. Eninu, also known as the House of Fifty, was the temple residence of Ninurta and his wife Bau. The weapons provided by Anu, the Aninu, the Supreme Hunter and Supreme Smiter were preserved. On top of the mudslide Utu, a new Sipar was created, where Sipar had been before the deluge. The Ibaba, the Shining House, was constructed as a residence for Utu and his wife Aya. Utu created the rules of justice for humanity. Due to the silt, the original designs could not be implemented, and alternative locations were selected. Adab, a nearby location in Shurubak, was created as a new center for Ninhasan. Her temple dwelling was known as the House of Help and Healing Knowledge, and the MEs detailing the creation of earthlings were housed in its hallowed shrine. Urim was the name of the city with straight streets, canals, and wharves built for Nana. Its temple was the house of a throne sea, and its rays touched the countries it reflected. Ishgur returned to the northern mountainous regions, where he founded the House of Seven Storms. This was the first city of humans, and the first monarchy on Earth. Inanna resided at Unuk-ki, the residence granted to her by Anu. Marduk and Nabu resided in Eridu, but needed separate dwellings in Edith, and how Marduk planned to construct the tower, and why the Emis took Inanna. In the first region, the Edinlands and the cities with precincts, 
the Anunnaki rulers instructed the earthlings in the arts and crafts. Before long, the fields were irrigated and boats sailed on the canal and river. The sheepfolds and granaries were overflowing and the area was prosperous. Ki Engi, land of the lofty watchers, was the name given to the first region. The decision was then made to give the black-headed people their own city, which was named Kishi, Scepter City, and it was at Kishi that man's reign started. Anu and Enlil, the heavenly bright object, are embedded in sanctified soil. Ninurta was the first king to be chosen, and his regal title was Mighty Man. Ninurta traveled to Eridu with the ME tablets for kingship divine formulae she got from Enki to transform it into a center of civilization for humanity. Ninurta Eridu arrived respectfully and appropriately attired. He inquired about the Emmy of kingship, and Enki, the deity who supplied all of the Emmy's protections, handed Ninurta 50 Emmy. In Kishi, the black-headed people who need to compute numbers are instructed by Heavenly Nisaba, and Heavenly Ninkashi teaches them how to brew beer. Under Ninurta's leadership, kiln construction and blacksmithing flourished in Kishi. The first wheeled carts pulled by male asses were created in Kishi. In Kishi, laws of justice and virtuous behavior were created. The people of Kishi produced praise songs for Ninurta, in which they chanted his great acts, conquests, and the awe-inspiring Blackburn. How he subjugated bison in distant places and found white metal as a copper alloying agent. It was Ninurta's moment of glory, and he was honored with the archer's constellation. Inanna in Unukki, her dominion in the third region, anticipated her arrival the whole time. She desired the domain of her own commanders throughout. The third area will arrive after the second. Thus her leaders gave her reassurance. Inanna planned a strategy to receive the ME from Enki after seeing Ninurta and Eridu's travels and how the ME of kingship was acquired. She sent her chambermaid Ninshubur to alert Eridu of Inanna's arrival. During the hearing, Enki issued orders to Isimud, his housemaster, as follows. The damsel is traveling alone to my city of Eridu. My inner chambers will admit her upon her solo arrival. Serve her barley cakes with butter and cold water to revive her heart. Prepare the sweet wine. Fill the beer glasses to the brim. As Inanna alone visited Enki's dwelling, Isimud Enki's directions were carried out. When Enki was welcomed by Inanna's beauty, he was awestruck. Inanna was adorned with jewels. Her thin garments displayed her body. When she bowed, Enki admired her vulva. They drank everything from sweet wine to beer from wine glasses during the tournament. Inanna baited Enki. I was hoping you could show me the M.E.s. Give me a M.E. in my palm. Enki to Inanna M.E.s to hold on seven times throughout the competition. Enki to Inanna M.E.s to hold on the divine formulas for lordship and kingship 
priesthood and scribes, love dressing and warring. M.E.'s to Inanna, Enki to hold on. For music and singing, woodworking, metalworking and precious stones. Enki and Inanna provided 94 M.E.'s. Inanna sneaked away from Enki as he slept, clutching her spoils securely in her hands. She hurried to her boat of heaven and instructed her pilot to take off. When Isimud awakened Enki from his sleep, Enki commanded Isimud, Get hold of Inanna. Enki discovered through Isimud that Inanna had already departed in her heavenly boat. He instructed Isimud to pursue Inanna aboard Enki's airship. You must retrieve every M.E., he instructed. Inanna's boat of heaven was stopped as Unoki Isimud arrived, compelling her to return to Eridu and face Enki's anger, which he had made her confront. When Inanna was restored to Eridu, however, the M.E.'s accompanying her were absent. She entrusted them to her chambermaid, Ninshubur, who carried them to the house of Anu in Unuki. I compel your return in the name of my authority and my father, Anu. Enki became enraged and accused Inanna of being a prisoner in his home. Eridu contacted his brother after Enlil's announcement. I was entitled to the M.E.'s, and Enki delivered them to me. Therefore, Inanna informed Enlil, and Enki quietly confessed the truth. When the tenure of Kishi expires, the Unukki throne will depart. So did Enlil proclaim. When Marduk learned of all of this, he became outraged beyond measure. Enough of my disgrace, Enki Marduk shouted his father's name. He desired from Enlil a holy city of his own in Edin. Enlil's disregard for Marduk's pleading placed Marduk's destiny in his own hands. Before Unukki was selected, Nabu, the Agigi, and their descendants from their dispersion areas were called to a place considered for Anu's entrance. There is a holy city where Marduk might erect his skyships. When his disciples arrived at the construction site with stones, they found that Marduk had shown how to produce bricks and burn them in a fire to use as stones. They were building a tower whose top could be seen from the skies. Enlil raced to the scene to foil the plot, hoping to soothe Marduk with reassuring words. Enlil attempted to halt Marduk and Nabu, but was unsuccessful. In Nibruki, Enlil, his sons and grandkids gathered, and they deliberated on a course of action. Marduk is building an unauthorized entrance to heaven, which he entrusts to humans. Thus spoke Enlil to his children and grandkids. If we allow this to occur, every problem facing humanity will be addressed. This terrible scheme must be thwarted. Everyone agreed with Ninurta's claim. The Enlilite Anunnaki came overnight from Nibruki. Their skyships showered fire and brimstone down on the high tower, destroying it and the whole encampment. Then Enlil planned to disperse the leader and his followers, leading their counsels and oneness to become muddled. Enlil decreed, 
Until now, all earthlings spoke a single tongue. They all spoke the same language. I will have to explain their language, so they do not comprehend one another. These events occurred in the 310th year since the Earth's year count started. He gave the inhabitants of each location and territory a distinct language. Then, one was assigned a writing style the others could not comprehend. Ishii was controlled by 23 kings for 408 years, during which time it was known as the Scepter City. Itana, a loving king, was also transported to paradise in Kishi. The heavenly bright object from Kishi was moved to its soil. At the appointed moment, hand over the kingdom of Unuki, Enlil made the same choice. When the verdict was revealed, the people sang a eulogy to Inanna. Lady of Emes, queen, vividly radiant, righteous, clothed in brilliance, beloved of heaven and earth, sanctified by Anu's love, wearing tremendous adorations. Seven times the Emmy she gained are now in her hands. They are suitable for the tiara of monarchy, the high priesthood, and the lady of the great Emmys, whose protector she is. Unuki ascended to the throne of the first region in the 409th year after the Earth Year Count started. Son of Utu, its first king, was the chief priest of the Ayana temple dwelling. As for Marduk, he traveled to the land of the Two Narrows, where he anticipated establishing himself as the ruler of the second region. This explains the establishment of the second and third regions, the exile of Ningishzida, and the danger to Unuk-ki Arata. When Marduk returned to the land of the Two Narrows after a lengthy absence, he discovered Ningishzida as its lord, the imposing lord Ningishzida. Ningishzida controlled the regions with the assistance of the descendants of the Anunnaki, whom the earthlings revere. Marduk of Ningishzida requested information. What Marduk had planned and directed Ningishzida to undertake was undone. What is it that happened? Marduk Ningishzida accused the destruction of hidden things of causing Hurun to go to a desert area, a place without water, a vast place where joys are not experienced. The two brothers caused a stir by quarreling fiercely. Pay notice, I am here in my appropriate position, Marduk told Ningishzida. You have assumed my position. From now on, you can only serve as my delegate. However, if you are inclined to revolt, you must leave the country. On earth, the brothers from the land of the Two Narrows argued for 350 years. 350 years of anarchy ensued, and the country was split among the brothers until Enki, their father, said to Ningishida, For the sake of peace, go to other regions. Ningishzida decided to go to a place beyond the seas, and he did so with a band of followers. Approximately 650 Earth years had passed at the time. But a fresh count started in the New Kingdom, where Ningishzida, the winged serpent, was known. 
In the land of the Two Narrows, the second region under the dominion of Marduk was founded. In the chronicles of the first region, it was known as Magan, the land of the Cascading River. Hemtar, also known as the Dark Brown region, was the name given to the land when the inhabitants of the second region muddled their languages. The new language was used by Neteru, the Guardian Watchers, and the Anunnaki. Marduk was honored as Ra, the Bright One, while Enki was honored as Ptah, the Builder. Ningishzida, also known as Tehuti, the Divine Measurer, was recalled. Ra, on the stone lion, had his picture changed with that of his son Asa to obliterate his memory. Ra, the people instructed them to count by tens rather than by sixty. He divided the year by tens as well, and he substituted moon-gazing with sun-watching. Under Tehuti's wool, the ancient north and south cities were restored, but Marduk-Ra merged the north and south into a single crown city. Menar was the name given to the offspring of Niteru and an earthling-appointed ruler. Scepter City, Ra is founded at the point where two lands meet, and a large river splits. To exceed Kishi in the first area, he dubbed it Mena Nefer, also known as Mena's Beauty. It was called Splendor. Ra constructed a sacred city to honor his elders, naming it after Nibiru's ruler, Anu. On a platform, he constructed a temple dwelling for his father, Enki Ptah. Inside a tall tower, its hair descended like a pointed rocket towards the sky. Ra put the top section of his celestial barge, Ben-Ben, at its temple, where he had journeyed from the planet of countless years. As high priest, on New Year's Day, the king presided over the rites. He entered the deepest star room before the Ben-Ben offerings he put on that day alone. Ptah Tura gifted the second region with a variety of MEs. The father and son asked questions. What is it that I know that you do not? Then he gave Ra all knowledge except the resuscitation of the dead. As the most powerful among the twelve celestials, Ptah was allotted the constellation Ram. A water flow of Hapi, land's major river, and Ptah for Ra and his people was managed. Abundance in the lush soils swiftly arrived, and man and animals thrived. Invigorated by the success of the second region, the leaders built the third region. They proclaimed it to be Inanna's kingdom, as she had been promised. She was granted a constellation to befit Sir Regent's ruler. She and her brother Utu had previously shared the station of the twins. As a result, Ninhasag bestowed Inanna her maiden constellation as a gift. According to the Earth Year Reckoning, Inanna was honored in 861 BCE. Far distant in the eastern territories, beyond seven mountain ranges, lay the third region, Zomuj. The land of sixty precious stones was its highland domain. The inhabitants of Arata, the wooded realm, grew grain crops and horned cowherds in a large river valley with a winding course. 
They constructed two towns from mud bricks and stocked them with grain silos. Following Enlil's command, Lord Enki, Lord of Wisdom, became king. A new language and writing system were developed for the third region. A previously unknown human language established by Arata Enki in his wisdom. But the MEs of the third area's civilized kingdoms, Enki did not grant Inanna permission to share Unugki's discoveries with the new region. So did Enki announce. In Arata, Inanna chose a shepherd chief comparable to her cherished Dumuzi. In her skyship from Unugki to Arata, Inanna traveled through mountains and valleys. She cherished Zomushi's rare stones and brought Unugki genuine lapis lazuli. Enmerkar, the second king of Unugki, ruled during the time. He enlarged Unug borders, and Ki's and Inanna's status was elevated as a result. He desired Arata's riches and sought to dominate Arata. An ambassador sent to Arata Enmerkar as a homage to Arata's riches. The envoy to Arata traversed seven mountain ranges and barren rain-soaked regions. He relayed Enmerkar's demand to the king of Arata word for word. The monarch of Arata had difficulty understanding his speech. The envoy was presented with an engraved wooden scepter by the king of Arata. To share Unugki's MEs with Arata, as asked by the king's letter, grains were put onto donkeys and sent with the ambassador to Unugki as a royal gift. When Enmekar, the scepter with an inscription, was received, its message in Unugki had to be deciphered. He said, What type of wood is this? He drew it out from light to darkness and from darkness to light. Then he had it planted in the orderly garden. After five years, ten years had passed, and a tree had grown from the scepter. What am I to do? Enmerkar contacted his grandfather Utu out of frustration. Utu interceded with the celestial Nisaba, the mistress of scribes and authors. On a clay tablet, his message to Nisaba was inscribed. Enmerkar was instructed, and his son Banda conveyed the word in the language of Arata. Submission or war. Inanna Arata was not abandoned, and Unugki Arata will not succumb. If Unugki wishes to battle, the king of Arata says, let two warriors engage in the fight. Better still, let's swap treasures in peace. Let Unogki trade MEs for Arata's wealth. On the way back, conveying the message of peace, Vanda became ill and lost his spirit. His teammates hoisted his lifeless neck to their shoulders. On Mount Hurum, his route to his death from Arata, Vanda was abandoned. The riches of Arata, Unogki and Unogki Arata did not receive them and Arata Unuki did not gain them. In the third region, civilized humanity did not wholly flourish. Explanation of the Thirteenth Tablet Royal cities provide sanctuaries for the gods. Demigods serve in palaces and temples as monarchs and priests. Marduk offers perpetual life to his royal servants. 
in Sumer, Inanna supports belief in the resurrection. The following advantages are achieved through heavenly omens and foretelling oracles. Marduk heralds the approaching age of the ram as his symbol. Ningish Zida constructs stone observatories to demonstrate the contrary. The mysterious messenger comes to Enlil and predicts a catastrophe. Insurrections, battles, and invasions destabilize Enlilite countries. Enjoins Enlil to choose a good leader for survival. Enlil picks the priestly royal family scion, Ibrum. Nabu's armies endeavor to conquer the spaceborne. The gods use weapons of terror to dethrone Enki. Inerta and Nergal destroy the spaceport and the Sin city. The radioactive cloud delivers death to everyone in Sumer. In the third region, civilized humanity did not ultimately flourish. Inanna disregarded the kingdoms assigned to her while she craved in her heart the realms not allotted to her. After a thousand years, when Unukki lost his throne, who could the end of the millennium or the following millennium have prophesied would succeed him? Who could have prevented the disaster? Who could have predicted that an unexpected disaster would occur in less than a third of a shah? Inanna launched the terrible end. Marduk observed while Ra and fate grew entwined, and Ninurta and Nergal delivered the incomprehensible conclusion with their own hands. Why was Inanna unhappy with the realm she was granted, and why did she refuse to forgive Marduk? On her voyage from Unukki to Arata, Inanna was restless and unsatisfied. She continued to cry for her beloved Tamuzi. Her love remained unfulfilled. She saw it shimmering and enticing as she sailed through Dumuzi's vision. In the dark, in dream visions, he appeared. I will return, he said. He was promising her the glory of his lard of the two narrows realm. In the hallowed grounds of Unukki, she erected a house of nighttime delight. On the night of their nuptials, she enticed these young Gigunu warriors with lovely words promising them a long and happy life, and claiming that her boyfriend, Dumuzi, was all she had ever desired. The next day, each was found dead in her bed. At that time, the presumed deceased hero, Banda, returned to Unukki. Only by the grace of Utu, whose seed he was, did Banda return from the grave. My beloved Dumuzi has returned. A miracle, a miracle! Inanna shouted with delight. Bandar was bathed at her house and covered with a fringed shawl. My dear Demuzi, she addressed him. Flowers adorning her bed, she enticed him there. When Bandar awakened in the morning, Inanna cried, The ability to live forever is in my hands. Then Inanna chose to name herself a goddess, therefore gaining the power of immortality. Nana and Ningal, the parents of Inanna, were not happy with her pronouncement. Enlil and Ninurta were angered by what Inanna stated, although her brother Utu thought it amusing. The dead cannot return to life. Enki and Ninhasag exchanged words. 
In the territories of Ki Engi, the people's good fortune was lauded. The gods are among us. They can eliminate death. This was spoken by individuals to one another. Hi there. Welcome back. Thanks for 188k. And tonight we're going to listen to some Sumer history, ancient history, Sumerian tablets and Boaz mysteries. Um, this was just streamed four days ago and Key had spoken the return of wisdom and the struggle of mankind. The Nibiru Council for further deliberation. Within the council, Enlil and the councillors fervently implored Anu to retain his kingship, expressing doubts regarding Alalu's credibility and motives. Ia, the esteemed scientist and Anu's firstborn son, addressed the Nibiru Council. Despite being Anu's eldest offspring, Ea ranked second in line for succession to the throne. Enlil, Anu's foremost son, held the primary position in succession due to his mother Antu, being both Anu's royal spouse and his half-sister. According to the Nibiru succession rules, this granted Enlil the title of Anu's foremost son, superseding Ea in the line of succession. Ea, the firstborn son of Anu, though not the foremost, had married Damkina, Alalu's daughter. With his unique position as Alalu's son-in-law and Anu's firstborn, Ea emerged as a suitable intermediary between both parties. The members of the council attentively listened as Ea addressed the imminent threat and promising offer put forth by Alalu. Ea presented a proposal. He would personally verify the existence of gold on Earth. If he could obtain the precious gold dust from Earth's resources, and utilize it as a shield to preserve Nibiru's atmosphere, he suggested allowing Alalu to rule as king on Earth. As for the kingship of Nibiru, Ea proposed a wrestling match between Alalu and Anu. He further suggested embarking on a chariot-like journey, a spacecraft voyage to Earth using water as a means of propulsion rather than fire, as Alalu had employed nuclear missiles to navigate the asteroid belt. Upon reaching Earth, Ea intended to acquire the valuable gold from its waters, which would then be sent to Nibiru. Anu endorsed Ea's plan and entrusted him with the mission to Earth. Accompanying Ea were pilot Anzu and a group of 50 male astronauts. Enlil, however, seethed with frustration as Ea had preempted the heroic mission to Earth. Enki, as Ea was also known, embarked on his voyage to Earth in his spacecraft. Along the way, he consumed his water supply, crucial for propulsion, to blast through the asteroid belt. He made a stop on Mars to replenish his water from a lake before proceeding towards Earth, acknowledging that the fate of Nibiru rested upon the availability of its gold. Upon reaching Earth, the astronauts landed in the Persian Gulf, guided ashore by Alalu. Ea established a settlement named Eridu at the head of the Persian Gulf. From there he extracted some gold and conducted further tests for its presence across the planet with his pilot, Abgal. Orders from Anu beamed to Earth, commanding Ea to return Alalu's ship to Nibiru with as much gold as possible. As Ea and Abgal explored the ship, they discovered seven nuclear missiles, which they discreetly concealed in a cave. Anzu, the interplanetary pilot, arrived to prepare Alalu's rocket for the return journey to Nibiru. However, upon noticing the absence of the missiles, Anzu confronted Ea, demanding their return. Ea responded, The use of weapons is forbidden. Anzu, 
You are now replaced as an interplanetary pilot since we have pledged not to carry nukes in space. Your attitude compels me to relieve you of your duties. Stay here on Earth. Aya entrusted the task of piloting Alalu's ship back to Nibiru to Abgal. With water cannons as the sole means of navigation through the asteroid belt, Aya programmed a return route. Abgal embarked on the spacecraft, carrying sample gold to test its effectiveness as an atmospheric shield on Nibiru. Anu, the king of Nibiru, dispatched his firstborn son, Ea, to Earth to handle the situation with his father-in-law, Alalu. Ea concealed Alalu's nuclear weapons on Earth and sent Anzu back to Nibiru with samples of gold. On Nibiru, scientists processed the gold, transforming it into fine dust and prepared to launch it skyward. The testing and refinement process took several orbits of Nibiru around the sun. Rockets were used to carry the dust to the heavens and crystal beams dispersed it. However, when Nibiru approached the sun, the golden dust was affected by the sun's rays, diminishing its healing properties in the atmosphere. The breach in the atmosphere returned, prompting Anu to send Abgal back to Earth in search of more gold. During Abgal's return to Earth, he found only a small yield of gold, with Ea's mining efforts limited to the Gulf region. Disappointed by the results, Ea sent Abgal back to Nibiru with this meager supply of gold. Ea, while prospecting, made a significant discovery of vast gold veins in southeast Africa, specifically in the area known as Abzu. Excited by his findings, he relayed the news to Nibiru. Upon hearing Ea's report about the abundance of gold veins, Anu and Enlil on Nibiru received the information. Enlil, feeling resentful that Ea was leading the Earth mission, demanded substantial proof of the gold reserves. Ea had previously given false hope, suggesting that enough gold could be obtained from Earth's waters to save Nibiru's atmosphere. Anu, tired of Enlil's constant complaints about Ea, gave in and appointed Enlil to take charge on Earth. Enlil was instructed to assess Ea's findings thoroughly. Upon arriving on Earth, Enlil communicated his initial doubts, but ultimately concluded that Earth likely possessed enough gold to save Nibiru's atmosphere. However, the inherent rivalry between Ea and Enlil, which still persists on Earth today, resurfaced once again. King Anu of Nibiru made the decision to send his dynastic heir, Enlil, to Earth to assume rulership and assess Ea's claim regarding the vast gold resources that could be sent back to Nibiru to save its atmosphere. Enlil, Communicating from Earth to Nibiru, urged his father Anu to affirm his authority over Ea, based on the law of succession. Despite Ea being the eldest son, Enlil argued that his lineage through their shared half-sister Antu gave him precedence. Enlil also implored Anu to personally come to Earth and address the situation with Alalu, who believed he was the rightful king on Earth, and also claimed authority over Nibiru. Around 416,000 years ago, Anu arrived on Earth and conducted a drawing of lots alongside Ea and Enlil. During this drawing, Anu decreed that one lot would grant rulership over Nibiru, another would bestow rule over Earth and control of the Persian Gulf headquarters, and the final lot would assign responsibility for mining operations in Africa and sea transportation. The division of tasks was determined by the drawing of lots. Anu returned to Nibiru to maintain his position on the throne. Enlil was allocated the Edin, Mesopotamia, and appointed as the Lord of Command, tasked with establishing additional settlements and overseeing their leaders 
until they reached the boundaries of the sea. Ea, on the other hand, was granted dominion over the seas and oceans, with authority over the lands beyond the water's boundaries, particularly in the Abzu, southeastern Africa, where he was to procure gold through his ingenuity. Enlil's first act as ruler was to grant Enki his initial settlement, Eridu, located on the shores of the Persian Gulf, with the right to possess it indefinitely. After drawing lots, Anu, Enlil and Enki each received their assigned roles. Anu acquired the lot for ruling over Nibiru, while Enlil was granted command over Earth. Ea, also known as Enki, assumed responsibility for the seas, mining, and the territories beyond the Straits of Gibraltar on Earth. Shortly after the division of rule between Anu and his sons, a confrontation ensued between Anu and Alalu. They engaged in a wrestling match, with Alalu boldly asserting his claim to mastery over Earth and his right to Nibiru's throne, based on his discovery of gold and previous promises made. Anu emerged victorious by pressing his foot onto Alalu's chest, declaring his kingship. However, as Anu lifted his foot, Alalu swiftly bit off and consumed Anu's malehood, inflicting a severe injury. Enlil restrained Alalu, while Ea provided first aid to Anu. Anu expressed his grim prognosis for Alalu, stating that he would slowly perish due to Anu's seed. As a result, Anu condemned the ailing Alalu to spend his remaining days on Mars. During Anu's return journey to Nibiru, he made a stop at Mars, leaving Alalu with provisions and tools. Anzu, a relative of Alalu and the former interplanetary pilot, was tasked with caring for the dying Alalu. A place Upon arriving person? back on Nibiru, Anu shared his plans with the Council regarding the search for gold throughout the solar system. He ordered the establishment of continuous freight rockets between Earth and Nibiru, with way stations on Mars, Earth's moon, other planets, and satellites in between. Oh, what happens? His fate was irreversible. Ninma managed to revive Anzu. In honor of Alalu, the one who discovered the gold that could potentially save Nibiru, Ninma and Anzu carved his image upon a grand mountain rock. They depicted him wearing an eagle's helmet, with his face uncovered. In a later Hittite version of the tale, Anu appointed Kumabi, Alalu's grandson, as his cupbearer, mirroring how Alalu had once appointed Anu to the same role. Anu brought Kumabi to Earth to keep a watchful eye on him. However, in this version, it was Kumabi who bit Anu's penis. In retaliation, Anu forced Kumabi to swallow poisonous stones, but Kumabi managed to spit them out. Kumabi paid a visit to Ea, also known as Enki, who was his sister's husband on Earth. However, Enlil's younger son, Adad, or Teshub, incited Kumabi while on Earth. Adad boasted about the privileges of knowledge and power that he and his older brother Ninurta enjoyed, but were denied to Kumabi. Ea took Kumabi in a rocket to Nibiru, intending to seek mediation from Lama, the ancestor of both Alalu's and Anu's lineages. However, Lama, realizing that Ea's mission lacked the support of Enlil's sons, unleashed lightning winds against Ea's spacecraft, forcing him and Kumabi to return to Earth. Kumabi returned to the Mars base and stirred unrest among the Igigi, the astronauts. They attacked Enlil and his people on Earth, prompting 70 of Enlil's men to retaliate by flying aircraft against Kumabi and the Igigi.
They managed to defeat Kumabi, but Ulikumi, Kumabi's son from one of the female astronauts, rallied the Ajiji once again. Taking on the role of Anzu in the Sumerian account, Ulikumi led the Ajiji in battle 380,000 years ago. The Enlilite champions, Ninurta and Adad, ultimately triumphed over Ulikumi and the Ajiji when they launched an assault on the Enlilite's whirlbirds. Moorhen identifies the conflicts between Alalu and his descendants as the foundation for later Indian tales, such as the Indira versus Vrita battle, and even Greek tales of the Titan versus God war. Indira, Vrita, and Titan Zeus draw inspiration from the Anzu Ninurta and Adad stories that the Nibirans dictated to the Sumerians. In another context, King Anu of Nibiru sent his daughter Ninma, along with female health officers, to Earth to assist the astronauts involved in gold mining. During their journey, they made a stop on Mars, where they discovered Alalu and Anzu dead. Ninma managed to revive Anzu and assigned him 20 astronauts to help establish the first way station for the gold freighters on Mars. Ia or Enki expressed his perception of Ninma, his beloved sister, as the chief medical officer for the Earth mission. He also revealed his view of his rival, their half-brother Enlil, who served as the commander of the Earth project. Enki, Enlil and Ninma were the offspring of Anu, born to different mothers. Enki, the first-born son, had a concubine as his mother. Enlil, born to Antu, Anu's spouse, became the legal heir. Ninma, born to another concubine, was a half-sister to the two half-brothers, renowned for her beauty, wisdom, and quick learning. Enki, also known as Ia, was chosen by Anu to marry Ninma, making him the legal successor. However, Ninma became enamored with Enlil, the charismatic commander, and they engaged in a seductive relationship. This rivalry between Ea and Enlil, which still impacts Earth, is evident as Ea refers to the connection between Ninma and Enlil as seduction. Ninma bore a son, Ninurta, from Enlil's seed. This angered Anu, who forbade Ninma from ever becoming a spouse. As a punishment, Ea abandoned his intended bride, and instead he married Damkina, a princess and Alalu's daughter. They had a son named Marduk, Ninma entrusted Anzu with 20 of the accompanying astronauts to Earth and tasked him with constructing the first way station for the gold freighters on Mars. As we resume our exploration of Ninma's journey to Earth, we find ourselves amidst a series of dramatic events and complex relationships. From her time on Mars to her encounter with Enlil and the subsequent turn of events, Ninma's story takes intriguing twists and turns. In this retelling, we delve into the emotional struggles, betrayals, and eventual reconciliations that shaped the narrative. Seeds of hope and unrequited love. Upon her arrival on Earth, Ninma unveils a remarkable discovery to Enlil and Eoseeds that bear the potential for a euphoric elixir. Enlil, captivated by Ninma's presence, takes her to his dwelling in the Cedar Forest, expressing his love and desire for her. However, despite their intimate encounter, Enlil refrains from impregnating Ninma. Promising her a healing city and the arrival of their son, Ninurta, Enlil's actions strain their relationship when he takes Sud, an assistant from Nibiru, causing Ninma's detachment. The rocketed journey. Princess Ninma leads her contingent of female health officers, embarking from Nibiru to Mars, where she establishes a gold transfer station with Anzu. Subsequently, they make their way to Eridu, situated at the head of the Persian Gulf, 
in preparation for their mission on Earth. Enlil's failed seduction and banishment. Enlil, compelled by his unrequited love for Ninma, becomes despondent and watches Sud, Ninma's alluring assistant, as she bathes with other women in his garden. Seeking solace and revenge, Enlil offers Sud an elixir made from the seeds brought by Ninma. The ensuing events lead to Enlil's punishment and banishment from the cities by the assembly of the seven who judge, with Abgal as his pilot. The betrayal and hidden weapons. Under the guise of exile in Africa, Abgal, who once aided Enki in concealing Alalu's nuclear missiles, reveals their secret location to Enlil. Abgal's actions mark a betrayal against Enki, aligning himself with Enlil's cause. Enlil learns that this exile provides him with the opportunity to regain dominion over Earth, armed with the hidden weapons believed to be secure, reconciliation, and the birth of Nana Sin. Meanwhile, Sud finds herself pregnant as a result of Enlil's actions. Enki, along with the tribunal, approaches Sud with a proposal. If she were to marry Enlil as his official spouse, would she accept? Sud agrees, and in a remarkable turn of events, Enlil receives forgiveness from the tribunal and even Ninma. Enlil and Sud unite in marriage, with Sud assuming the name Ninti. She gives birth to Nana Sin, the first Nibiran royal born on Earth. Conclusion. Ninma's journey is fraught with complex relationships, betrayals, and unexpected reconciliations. From Enlil's unrequited love to the banishment and subsequent revelations, the tale carries a sense of emotional intensity. Ultimately, through forgiveness and the birth of Nana Sin, a new chapter begins for these powerful beings on Earth. The story serves as a testament to the intricate dynamics and enduring resilience within the ancient mythologies that continue to captivate our imaginations. When Ninma intervened once more, Enki made the decision to send them to Nibiru, his home planet, to retrieve his wife Damkina and their son Maduk. Together with Damkina and the children she bore him on Earth, Enki established his clan, consisting of Marduk's half-brothers who were born on Earth, Nurgle, Gibil, Ningishida Thoth, and Dumuzi, along with their descendants. Marduk, Enki's eldest son, was the grandson of Alalu. When Alalu claimed the Nibiran throne, he arranged for his daughter Damkina to marry Enki Ea, the son of Anu. It was agreed among Alalu, Anu and Marduk, that they would eventually ascend as rulers of Nibiru. Thus Marduk, the offspring of Enki and Damkina, was destined to be the heir to the Nibiran throne. However, Anu deposed and condemned Alalu, subsequently sending Enki, Ninma and Enlil to Earth. On Earth, Enki and Enlil established their own lineages, as powerful groups of patrilineally related kin vied for power within the gold dust operation. Enlil, together with his wife Sudninti, produced offspring including Nana Sin and Ishkur slash Adad slash Teshub. These sons, along with Enlil's eldest son, Minuta, born out of his illicit relationship with Ninma, became entangled in the struggles between the Enkiites and Enlil's faction. Ninurta defeats Anzu and the astronaut corps. Anu of Nibiru's two sons, Enlil, commander of Earth operations, and Enki, lord of the seas and chief of mines, build rival lineages on Earth as astronauts mine gold in SE Africa. Some 400,000 years ago, Enlil established seven mission centers, Sipar, the spaceport, Nippur, mission control, Badibira, the metallurgical center, and Shurapak, the medical center. Anzu commanded 300 Nibirans on Mars base and in the shuttle service.
His men, the Agigi, rocketed gold from Mesopotamia, where Enki's ships brought it from Africa. Anzu's men on Mars transferred the gold to spaceships bound for Nibiru. On Nibiru, scientists powdered the gold and seeded it into the air. Slowly was the breach in the heavens healing. Mission Control, Nipper the Agigi, led by Anzu, demanded Enlil grant them better working conditions, more elixir from the fruit Ninma grew, and a rest facility on Earth. Anu beamed orders from Nibiru for Anzu to go to Enlil on Earth, where Enlil would show Anzu the entire mining operation, so he'd understand why the Agigi must persevere. When Anzu arrived at Nippur, Enlil's capital, he found Enlil reluctant to cooperate. Enlil's reluctance to receive Anzu reflected the challenge posed by the Agigi's demands, and especially by the leadership of Anzu relative to the executed Alalu. Enlil insisted he, not Anzu, gave orders to the astronauts. Enlil believed he had authority over the entire Earth operation. Anzu and the astronauts should obey, not challenge him. Enki, however, persuaded Enlil to go ahead and explain the gold mining, refining and transport systems to Anzu. Our father, King Anu, said Enki, says to convince Anzu to keep his men on the job. So Enlil admitted Anzu to his chambers. But when Enlil removed his clothes and set down the key to his control room, Anzu stole the key. Anzu then slipped into the control room and stole the computer crystals that ran the spaceport and the astronaut cities in Mesopotamia. He forced Aya's pilot, Abgal, to take him to the spaceport, shu.ru.pac.there. Anzu's men declared him King of Earth and Mars. He shut down vital services at headquarters, Nibruki, and cut communication between Earth and Nibiru. In a spectacular air battle, Ninurta, Enlil and Ninma's son, shoots Anzu down. Ninurta then freed Abgal, captured Anzu and retrieved the crystals. The esteemed council known as the Seven Who Judged, comprising Ia Enki, Damkina Ninki, Marduk Ra, Nana Sin, Enlil Yahweh, Ninma and Ninurta, issued a verdict to execute Anzu, employing a lethal ray as the means. It has been suggested that Nana, Enlil's legal heir, and the son of his legitimate spouse, played a significant role in the affair, possibly being the driving force behind Anzu's actions. However, Nana was not subjected to execution, but rather exiled from Ur. After Ninurta, Enlil's firstborn, triumphed over the Igigi rebellion and executed their leader, Anzu, all the Nibiran leaders, including Nana, pledged their allegiance to Ninurta as Enlil's successor on Earth. Previously, Ninurta had only been recognized as Enlil's successor on Nibiru, while Nana held the position of Enlil's successor on Earth as Enlil's son with Sud. With Ninurta now assuming the title of Enlil's foremost warrior, he enforced Enlil's authority over the entire gold extraction, processing and transportation system between Earth and Nibiru. Marduk, however, showed sympathy towards the grievances of the Agigi that had led to their revolt. In response, Enlil commanded Marduk, saying, All right, Marduk, go to Mars and assume command over the astronauts. Ensure their unwavering obedience to me. On Mars, bury Anzu, improve conditions, and restore morale among the Agigi. It is suggested by Morhan's account that Ea's alliance with Damkina, Alalu's daughter, and their son Marduk, was a calculated part of the scheme. Anzu, who was related to Alalu, was granted access to Enlil's inner sanctuary for energy source crystals, vital computer chips, orbital data panels, 
and communication control mechanisms between Earth, Nibiru and Mars, all with the connivance of Ia. Ia proposed that entertaining Anzu would serve as a temporary measure to appease the Igigi's demands. Ishmael Ningishzida had previously pointed out that in the lost book of Enki's version of the Igigi revolt, Anzu's role corresponded to Nana's role as the rightful heir on Earth, being Enlil's son from his half-sister and legal spouse, Sud. Nana's claim posed a challenge to Ninurta, Enlil's firstborn and designated heir on Nibiru, in terms of succeeding Enlil's command over Earth. Similarly, in the Wars of Gods and Men, Anzu, the leader of the revolt, is depicted as a descendant of Alalu, albeit in this account, he is an orphan who was adopted by the Mars service, rather than the pilot who transported Ia to Earth and remained on Mars to perish alongside Alalu. Both Nana and Ea stood to benefit if Anzu had successfully overthrown Ninurta. However, it was Nana, not Ea, who faced exile in the aftermath of the Igigi rebellion. Anthropologists would recognize Enki's description as reflective of a classical segmentary, patrilineal, agnatic lineage system. Within such segmentary patrilineages, collateral lines stemming from different mothers form alliances with other royal patrilineages. The Ea lineage, particularly the Marduk line within Ea's lineage, allies itself with the Alalu clan to exert influence against the Enlilites within the Anu clan. In anthropological terms, Marduk's line represents a branch linked to the Alalu clan. Matrifiliated alliances serve to secure external allies for lineages as they vie for authority within their respective patriclans. Other people's comments. Okay. So what was it about the volcanoes on Nibiru that kept its atmosphere reliable and why did it stop? Did the Nibirans repair their atmosphere with the gold? Doesn't it have to be replenished? 
What if everyone on Nibiru is dead because the atmosphere was vanquished? Great question. Very possible that life on Nibiru is underground and tough. I have reason to believe Centauri B is inhabited by our red and brown dwarfs friends. They abhor BS. They're still very much alive. They mined gold from Earth for almost half a million years and have only been seemingly gone for a couple thousands. The Anunnaki are the ancient gods of every culture, even the Elohim of the Bible. There's always missing gold on Earth. I just wondered that too. So, do they repair their atmosphere? Do they succeed? I heard, like in one of these um, podcasts, that uh, it was a crash. Uh, you know, when the gold was being transported to Nibiru. Um, so do they, uh, periodically come back and get some more gold to repair their atmosphere? They tried to wipe us out, Anki and the Flood, 9,800 BC, Kingdoms of Sumeria, Season 4, Complete, Boaz Mysteries, Mysteries on YouTube channel. The following Sumerian texts are some of the most fascinating ever deciphered regarding Enki and the Flood. Ryan Morhen has pioneered this research with his grandfather George Morhen, the curator of the Morhen Collection in Liechtenstein. It reads as follows. After the deluge, I will return the Sumerian lands beyond the oceans. So did Ninurta proclaim this. Nana, Enlil's firstborn on Earth, has a peculiar wish. He wishes for the deluge to survive not in Earth's skies, but on the moon. Enki arched his eyebrow. Enlil, though perplexed, gave his approval. Ishkur, the youngest son of Enlil, has decided to remain on Earth with his father. It was decided that Nana's earthborn children, Utu and Inanna, would remain. Enki and Ninki chose to remain, and Earth did not abandon their decision. They announced it with pride. Igigi and Sapanit cried out, I will not abandon. Marduk's response was one of anger. One by one, Enki's other sons declared their intention to remain. Nergal and Gibil, Ninagal and Ningishzida, and finally, Demuzi. When all eyes were on Ninmar, 
she proclaimed with pride, My life's work is here. I will not abandon the human beings I created. Her words infuriated the Anunnaki and Dikiki, who inquired about the fate of the earthlings. Let the inhabitants of the earth perish for their abominations, declared Enlil. Enki exclaimed to Enlil, We have created a marvelous being. It must have been due to our efforts. Enlil responded with his own shouted words. From the beginning, each choice you made was correct. You granted primitive workers procreation and endowed them with knowledge. You hold the powers of the All-Creator in your hands. You subsequently sinned, even by abominations. Adapa, you conceived by fornication. You gave by understanding his lying. You took his offspring to the heavens and imparted them with our knowledge. Every rule you have broken, every command you have disregarded. A brother was murdered because of you, by a civilized earthling brother, because Marduk, your son, the Igigi, intermarried with earthlings, as did he. Who is lordly from Nibiru, and who owns the earth? Enough, enough. Stop listening to me. These outrages cannot continue. Now that a disaster caused by an unknowable fate has been decreed, allow what must occur. Thus did Enlil vehemently proclaim that all leaders solemnly swear to allow events to transpire following Enlil's demands. Ninurta was the first to take the oath of silence. Others on Enlil's side followed. Nergal, one of Enki's sons, was the first to take the oath, followed by the other. I bow to your command, Marduk said to Enlil. But what value does swearing have? If Igigi's spouses abandon them, will fear not spread among the inhabitants of Earth? Ninmar was in tears, and she whispered the words of the oath. Enlil regarded his sibling Enki. It is the king and council's desire. He addressed him with the following phrase. Why will you swear me to secrecy? Enki's brother Enlil asked. You made the decision. It is a commandment on earth. I can't stop the floodwaters, and I can't save the masses of earthlings. Therefore, to what oath do you wish to bind me? inquired Enki's brother. To let everything transpire as if predetermined by fate, let it be known as Enlil's decision, and let Enlil alone bear the responsibility forever. Enki treated all pronounced identically. Enki then left the assembly, accompanied by Mardu. With immediate commands, Enliling the assembly's call to order resulted in assigning tasks and adopting resolutions. Places of assembly are designated, equipment is gathered, and chariots are assigned to those who will depart and remain. Returning citizens of Nibiru were the first to depart. They boarded the celestial vessels while embracing and arm-locking in both happiness and sorrow. One by one, the Sipa vehicles roared into the air. Initially, those left behind travelled without incident. The screams were first audible, then muffled. After the completion of the launches toward Nibiru, Marduk and the Igigi with earthling spouses took their turns. Marduk gathered them all at the landing place and gave them a choice. 
With him, Sarpanit, two sons and the daughters, Talamu, where disaster awaited, or return to Nibiru with him, Sarpanit, two sons and the daughters. Or to find refuge from the deluge, dispersed to remote mountainous regions on earth. Enlil then considered the survivors and assigned them chariots in groups. Ninurta to the mountainous regions beyond the oceans. Enlil to report on the rumblings of the earth. The White Land assigned Nergal and Eshkigal the duty of keeping an eye on Enlil. Enlil tasked Ishgur with defending against an onslaught of earthlings. Install and fortify a barrier and a bolt to prevent access. Sipar, the place of the celestial chariots, was the focal point of all preparations. The tablets of destiny from Nibru Ki were transferred to Sipar, Enlil creating a temporary bond between heaven and earth. Enki Enlil, his brother, then dressed him, saying, However, if the catastrophe survives, everything that transpired must be remembered. Let us safely bury record tablets in Sipar deep within the earth, so that what has been accomplished from one planet to another will be discovered in the coming days. The words of Enki's brother were received with approval. In the golden chests were kept M.E.s and other tablets. In Sipar they are interred for posterity in the depths of the earth. Thus prepared, the leaders awaited the departure signal. In its great circuit, the approach of Nibiru was closely monitored. Enki's sister Ninma addressed him during that period of anxious waiting, and Enki told her that Enlil had lost focus due to his preoccupation with humans and all other forms of life. Other living creatures, some of which we recognize from Nibiru and the majority from Earth, will perish when the tidal wave of water sweeps over the land. Let us, you and I, preserve their life-giving essences and extract their vitality for safekeeping. Ninma, who gave life to Enki's words, said, I will do it in Shuruba, and you will do it with Apsu's living creatures. So to Enki she said. Enki and Ninma took on a difficult task while the others sat idly by. Ninma was assisted in Shurubak by some of her female assistants. Enki was assisted by Ningishzida in the Abzu at the ancient House of Life. The collected male and female essences and life eggs were preserved in pairs of each species in Shurubak and Abzu. The living species must recombine for the duration of the Earth's circuit. At that time Ninurta sent word, the Earth's tremors are ominous. At that time Nergal and Arishkigal sent word, the White Land is shaken. The Anunnaki congregated at Sipar in anticipation of the Day of the Deluge. A Summary of the Enki Dream Deluge Tablet Enki dreams that the mysterious messenger appears. Enki is tasked with saving humanity via his son, Ziusudra. Enki manipulates Ziusudra to construct a submarine. A navigator arrives on board with the seeds of life from Earth. As Nibiru approaches, the White Land ice sheets begins to slide. The resulting tsunami floods the planet with water. 
The remaining Anunnaki lament the disaster as they orbit the Earth. The waters recede. The boat of Ziusudra rests on Mount Salvation. Enlil discovers Enki's duplicity while falling into a whirlwind. Enki persuades Enlil that it was predestined by the All-Creator. The surviving landing platform serves as a temporary base of operations. In a creation chamber, plants and animals are created. Gold is discovered in abundance in the lands beyond the seas. Ancient lands are the site of the establishment of new space facilities. They consist of two manufactured mounds and a lion-shaped carving. Ninmar proposes a peace plan to end the escalating conflict. The Enki Dream Tablet The Anunnaki congregated at Sipa in anticipation of the Day of the Deluge. Lord Enki had a dream vision when anticipation was mounting while he was asleep in his quarters. Enki recognized him as Galzu when he approached him. In his right hand he held a stylus for engraving. He held a gleaming lapis lazuli tablet in his left hand. And as he approached Enki's bed and was able to stand, Galzu said, Your accusations against Enlil were unjustified, for he spoke only the truth, and the decision that will be known as Enlil's decision was not made by him, but by fate. The fate of the earthlings is now in your hands, as they will inherit. Bring your son Ziusudra without causing him to break his oath, and let the impending catastrophe be revealed. A boat that can withstand a watery avalanche, a submersible one, of which I am displaying an example on this tablet. Permit him access to save himself and his family. This is the will of the all-powerful Creator. And Gozu, in the dream vision, drew an image with the stylus on the tablet and placed it by the side of Enki's bed. Then the image faded, the dream vision ended, and Enki awoke with a shiver. Enki remained in his bed for some time, pondering the significance of his dream vision with awe. What omen did it hold? Then, as he got out of bed, the tablet was there. What he had witnessed physically at his bedside was merely a dream. Lord Enki grasped the tablet with hands trembling. On the tablet, he observed a design of an oddly shaped boat. The tablet's edge measurement markings indicated the dimensions of the boat. Lord Enki hurriedly dispatched his envoys at dawn, filled with awe and the desire to find Gazu. To him I must speak, so he advised them. By evening, everyone had returned and reported to Enki that no one had been able to locate Gazu, and that he had long since returned to Nibiru. Enki was especially baffled by the mystery and its portent, which he endeavored to decipher. Despite his inability to solve the mystery, the message was clear. That night, Enki went to the reed, but not where Ziusudra was sleeping. Not having broken the oath, Lord Enki addressed the hut's wall instead of Ziusudra. Wake up, wake up, Enki addressed the reed wall. He spoke from behind the reed screen. A dreadful storm will ravage all settlements and cities. In my words, please pay close attention to my directives and adhere. 
Enki spoke to Ziusutra from behind the reed screen as the words roused him. Reed hut, reed hut. The human race and its descendants will perish. This is the final decision by Anu, Enlil, and Ninmar, as determined by Enlil's assembly. Now, please pay close attention to what I am saying and my message. Abandon your home, construct a boat, forego possessions, and save a life. The design and dimensions of the boat you must construct are depicted on a tablet that I will leave by the hut's wall. Ensure the entire boat is covered. The sun must not be visible from within. To survive a wet avalanche, the boat must be able to flip and roll. The tackle and pitch must be solid and tight to repel water. Construct the boat in seven days and invite your family to join you. Food and drinking water pile up on the boat, and even domesticated animals bring something. Then, on the appointed day, you will be given a signal. A water-savvy boating guide will be assigned to you, and on that day you must board the boat and close its hatch securely. A massive deluge from the south will devastate lands and life. Your boat will be torn from its moorings and tossed about. The boat's captain will lead you to a safe harbor. Only through you will the germ of civilization endure. Ziusudra was dumbfounded when Enki's voice ceased, and he fell to his knees, exclaiming, My lord, I have heard your voice. Reveal your face, my lord, he exclaimed. I have not spoken to you, Ziusudra. I have spoken to the reed wall. As Enki explained, I am bound by Enlil's decree and the oath that all Anunnaki swore. If you see my face, you will indeed die. Now, read Shek, heed my words. My Lord Enki has annoyed Lord Enlil. I'm sailing to Enki's home in the Abzu. Maybe Enlil will be appeased. The boat's purpose, a closely guarded Anunnaki secret, must be protected. When the citizens ask, you will respond. A period of silence followed. Ziusudra emerged from the barrier of reeds. In the moonlight, he saw and picked up a lapis lazuli tablet. It was depicted as a boat with notches indicating its dimensions. Ziusudra was the wisest of all civilized men. He comprehended what he had heard. He proclaimed to the citizens, Lord Enlil was displeased with Lord Enki, my master, and as a result he was hostile towards me. I will no longer reside in this city or enter the Edin. Instead, I will sail to the Abzu, the domain of Lord Enki. In a boat that must be constructed quickly, I will depart from this place. As a result, the Lord Enlil's wrath will abate, hardships will cease, and the Lord Enlil's blessings will shower upon you in the future. People gathered in the vicinity of Ziusudra as the morning was still young. They encouraged one another to construct the boat for him as quickly as possible. Children transported bitumen from the marshes, while elders transported boatwood. As the woodworkers hammered the planks together, the bitumen melted, like Ziusudra, in a pot. He sealed the interior and exterior of the boat with bitumen. As depicted on the tablet, the boat was completed on the fifth day. 
The townspeople, eager to see Ziusutra depart, brought food and water to the boat. Their food was taken from them. They were in a hurry to appease Enlil. Additionally, four-legged animals were driven into the boat, while field birds flew in independently. Ziusutra, his spouse, and his sons set sail on the boat. Their wives and children also accompanied them. Anyone who wishes to visit the residence of Lord Enki is welcome. Thus Ziusudra declared to the gathered crowd. Imagining Enlil's abundance, only a few artisans responded to the call. Ninogal, Lord of the Great Waters, boarded the ship on the sixth day. Son of Enki, he was chosen as the ship's navigator. He held a cedarwood box in his hands and kept it by his side in the boat. It contained the life essences and life eggs of living creatures, which the lords Enki and Ninmar had gathered, from Enlil's wrath to be concealed, so that life could be resurrected if the earth was willing. Ninagal explained to Ziusudra that every beast in the boat was concealed in pairs. With Ninagal and Ziusudra in the boat, the arrival of the seventh day was now expected. This is the account of the deluge that swept the earth, how the Anunnaki escaped, and how Ziusudra survived in the boat. The deluge was predicted to occur in Shah's 121-year-old year. In the tenth Shah of Ziusudra's life, the deluge was approaching, and an avalanche loomed in the constellation of the lion. The earth rumbled and groaned in agony for several days before the deluge. Nibiru was visible in the heavens as a bright star for several nights before the catastrophe. There was darkness during the day, and the moon was consumed by a monster at night. The earth began to tremble because of an unknown force. In the light of dawn, a dark cloud appeared on the horizon. The light of the morning faded as if death's shadow had been concealed. Then there was a thunderclap and lightning illuminated the sky. Depart, depart! Utu gave Anunnaki the signal. The Anunnaki were elevated to the heavens while crouched in the heavenly ships. The bright eruptions of Ninagal could be seen from eighteen leagues away in Shurubok. Button up, closure of the hatch, Ninagal yelled towards Ziusudra. They lowered the trap door concealed by the hatch. The boat was completely enclosed and watertight, but a ray of light was able to penetrate the interior. That unforgettable day, the deluge began with a roar. The earth's foundation shook in the white land at the earth's center. The ice sheet then slid off its foundations with the sound of a thousand thunderclaps. It was drawn away by Nibiru's unseen net force and crashed into the South Sea. It was causing one ice sheet to collide with another. The white land's surface was crumbling like a cracked eggshell. A tsunami appeared out of nowhere, and the sky turned into a wall of water. At the center of the planet, an unprecedented storm began to rage. Its winds propelled the wall of water, and the tidal wave was spreading northward. The wall of rushing water reached the Abzu lands from the north. It travelled from there to Edin's settled lands. When the tidal wave reached the sea wall, Shuruwak arrived. 
The boat of Ziusutra was dislodged from its moorings by a tidal wave, which tossed it about like an abyss of water and swallowed it. The boat remained stable despite being wholly submerged. Not a single drop of water entered. People defeated the storm's wave in a bloody battle. The Anunnaki celestial ships were circling the earth. No one but his fellow man could see, as the ground had vanished and only water remained. Everything that was once on the ground was washed away by the and whale. Remained stable despite being wholly submerged. Not a single drop of water entered. People defeated the storm. wave in a bloody battle. The Anunnaki celestial ships were circling the earth. No one but his fellow met away by the mighty waters. By the end of the day, the watery wall had engulfed the mountains. They squatted, squeezing into the compartments and pressing against the out. During the deluge, the Anunnaki circled the, the earth in their celestial ships. Ninmar, resembling A woman in labor cried out from the celestial ship where she was, My work is comparable to drowned dragonflies in a pond. All life has been eradicated by the crashing sea wave. Thus Ninmar wept and wailed. Inanna, who was with her, also wept and lamented. Everything that once lived there is now clay. Thus did Ninmar and Inanna weep. They cried to alleviate their emotions. In those days, the Anunnaki aboard the other celestial vessels were humbled by the sight of unbridled fury, a force greater than their own. They were famished for the fruits of the planet and thirsty for fermented elixir. Unfortunately, Clay's time has passed. As a result of the massive tidal wave that engulfed the earth, the planet was submerged. This is what the Anunnaki said to one another. The heavens' drains opened, and precipitation descended upon the earth. The waters from above and the waters of the great below were mixed for seven days. When the water wall reached its limit, the assault ceased. However, the rain continued for an additional forty days and nights. The Anunnaki looked down from their perches and saw a sea of water where once there had been dry land. And where mountains had once reached the heavens, their summits now resembled islands in the ocean. And everything on land that wasn't alive in the avalanche of water perished. Then, as in the beginning, their basin's waters were collected. The water level gradually decreased as it fluctuated day by day. It was a lovely day with a light breeze. Then, forty days after the worldwide deluge, the rain ceased. After forty days, the boat's hatch opened, revealing Ziusudra's location for the survey. 
The boat was bobbing on a vast ocean, with no other signs of life. All living things, including humans, have been eradicated from the Earth's surface. We are among the few survivors, but there is no dry land to step on. So lamented Zyusutra to his relatives as he sat down and wept. Ninogal directed the boat toward the twin peaks of Arata at Enki's command. He constructed a sail for her and steered the vessel toward Mount Salvation. Zyusutra's impatience led to the release of the birds on board. He sent them to confirm the existence of dry land and surviving vegetation. Both the swallow and the raven he released returned to the boat. He released a dove, which returned with a tree branch. Now Zyusudra was aware that dry land had emerged from the ocean. A few days later, the boat by the rocks was captured. The flood is over, and we have reached the Mount of Salvation. Ninagal therefore informed Zyusudra. Zyusudra emerged from the boat after the watertight hatch was opened. The sky was clear, the sun shone, and a light breeze blew. He urgently summoned his wife and children. Let us praise the Lord Enki. Let us give thanks to him. Zyusudra addressed them. He used the stones gathered from his sons to construct an altar. He sacrificed an unblemished ewe lamb and a ewe lamb to Enki on his altar. Then he lit a fire on the altar and added fragrant incense. At the time, Enlil said to Enki from his celestial boat, Let us descend in whirlwinds from the celestial boats upon the peak of Arata to assess the situation and determine what should be done. While the others circled the earth in their celestial vessels, Enlil and Enki descended upon the summit of Arata in whirlwinds. The two brothers met with a smile, their arms interlocked in happiness. Enlil was then perplexed by the aroma of fire and roasting meat. Which is it? his sibling yelled, who has survived the flood. Let us investigate. Enki responded with humility. They flew their whirlwinds over to the opposite peak for Rata. They observed Zyusutra's boat and landed close to the altar he had constructed. Enlil's rage knew no bounds when he saw Ninagal among the survivors. Everyone on earth had to perish, he yelled angrily at Enki and charged him with the intent to kill him with his bare hands. <laughs> My son, he is no mere mortal. He is... According to Zyusudra, Enki cried out. Enlil hesitated for a brief moment. You lied under oath, toward Enki he yelled. I addressed a reed wall, not Zyusudra, Enki told Enlil about the dream vision. Ninurta and Ninma had already landed in their whirlwinds upon Ninagar's notification. <sighs> Ninurta and Ninma were not offended by the events described to them. The all-powerful creator desires humanity's survival. Ninurta therefore informed his father. Ninma touched her crystal necklace, a gift from Anu, and swore, The annihilation of humanity shall never be repeated. Enlil took them by the hands of Zyusudra and Imzara, his wife, and blessed them. Procreation and multiplication will replenish the earth. 
Thus ended the ancient era. After the confrontation at Arata, the deluge's waters continued to recede, and the face of the earth gradually emerged from beneath the waves. This is the account of how the planet's survival was restored, and how a new source of gold and other earthlings beyond the oceans were found. The mountain regions were largely undamaged, but the valley